You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Round of applause for Steve Fraser right there. For preaching the word of God right there and uh, leading us in the communion and the contribution. And uh, Steve is so dear to the church. I mean, uh, just an incredible, incredible disciple. Uh, the thing that moved me the most was uh, seeing how changed he was. Uh, you can tell when a man is changed because he fears God more than he fears the applause of man. And yet, I, I remember meeting Steve, and he was kind of timid, shy Steve. And I'm sitting here going, that sounds like a preacher right there. <laughs> you know when a man's ready to go. When he's called upon his God. He's gotten his faith behind all the challenges, and he says, God, I'll go wherever you send me. Let's give it up again for Steve Frazier for being such an incredible example for us. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. If you're visiting with us, we're right in the middle of studying the book of Acts, and yet I believe this principle here in Matthew 18 applies to us as we get through chapter 10, 11, 12, and hopefully we'll land in 13 by the end of the day of Acts. But Matthew says this in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, of course, Matthew wrote his account to those who were Jews. So when he says the word heaven, it doesn't necessarily mean heaven. They had a, they had a real deep fear of God. So they would not even say the name God. And so they replaced it with heaven right here. So this is talking about the kingdom of God. It says, who is greatest in the kingdom of God? He called a little child and had him stand among them. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like a little like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And the church said, Wow, this is an incredible challenge as we grow older that we still have to change. Dare we say there's no such thing in the kingdom of God of an old dog not learning new tricks. We've got to be willing to change. Matthew, or Acts chapter 10. The title of the lesson is simply Embracing Change. Embracing Change. How does that affect you this morning? You know, when it comes to change, sometimes we resist it. Sometimes we avoid it. And yet, Matthew says, unless you change and become like little children who have really, I mean, kids, I mean, I've been learning a lot from my kids. Uh, Specifically, one of the most inspirational little bubbly little fireballs bouncing around the fellowship by the name of Mia Grace. Now, if you see Mia, I mean, she's going on two years old, but she acts like she's about six or seven years old. And, you know, this, this, this week I had, a, had an incredible time spending time with little Mia. And, uh, you know, of course, mom left to have a little time right there. And so I was, dad, okay, hey, man, I'm going to take care of a little girl here. Come, come here, Mia. And we hung out for a little bit, and, and, and then Mia said a few things to me. And now she's learned a few things. She's learned if she wants something from dad just to give me a little kiss. 
So so now it's almost like she gives me a kiss without even giving me her heart. Now she sees the chips right there, and so you go, okay, chips. Here, here's your kiss. Give me the chips. I, I want the chips. I can care less. Here you go. So she did that, and I'm sitting here feeling like, okay, I'll take the kiss anyway, right there. Uh, so I had a drink, and then she did it again. She gave a little kiss right there. She, the, the drink right there. She even did it without looking at me. She, she's looking at the drink and kissing me, and I'm going, goodness. And, 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 and this is my, my daughter right here. I'm like, I, I hope you love me, little girl here. I hope you love me. And, uh, and, then, and then Mia, um, you know, she leaves, and then she's walking around the house. And if you've been to our home, you know, there's toys everywhere. She has a little box, and she, she goes into the kitchen. She thinks the kitchen is her, her playground, and she's playing. And she comes to me, and she goes, she stands, she stands right in the middle of the room. She goes, Dad. And I go, wow, she called my name. And she, she goes, Moo. I go, okay. And I look in the dad dictionary of how to raise your kids, and I couldn't find what that meant right there. I was just kind of. And I looked around for Michelle. Michelle's gone. Like, oh, little Michael's gone. I'm just me and Mia right there. I just go, okay, what I do? And she, okay, what I do? But she said about three or four. I had no idea what she's talking about. And so finally, she just in a sad face, she puts her head down and she she turns away. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, Jesus, you got to help me right here. <laughs> Michelle's gone. What do I do? Uh, and she goes over to to her stroller and there's her her little bag. She opens the bag. She, she's, um, she's not even two. She, she opens the bag. She reaches inside the bag, and she pulls out the, the nappy and, and, and uh, the wipes. And she comes back, and she looks at me, and she goes, boo-boo. <laughs> oh, you had a change. Ah, I got it. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> And so I take her in there, and, you know, I clean her on up and do the powder, and then she's all fine. And she's fired up for the rest of the day. Do you like to change? Dare we say, only little babies enjoy a change. Sometimes we as adults, and even teens who think you're adults, do, do you do you enjoy? Do you embrace change? The change that needs to happen for you to grow as a Christian? The change of relations. I mean, we, we hear Steve Fraser embracing change. An Englishman going all the way to Toronto for Jesus Christ. Sacrificing his relationships. Sacrificing what he knows because he's embracing the change at which God is calling of him. And yet this world is trying to change us on a daily basis. Do not be deceived. The world is trying to change you. I believe that with all my heart. I believe the world is programming us on a daily basis. And that programming is what you call humanism. If it makes sense to me humanistically, I'll do it. And yet the world is going after us. Pitting science against the gospel as if that was ever God's plan to put those two entities against each other when really they should they support one another and I believe that Satan has a plan as Steve said I love the spirit here Satan has a plan and I believe that plan is the total secularization of the entire world he, he, he wants to remove the Bible he wants to remove all religion uh, he wants to remove the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord from the hearts of every individual 
That's his plan. You look at the American dollar, and of course it's called the, you see at the bottom of the American dollar, you see the phrase, Novus Ordos Seclorum, a new world order. And America has so much influence, even of England. And I believe Satan has a new world order. Satan wants to change the entire world, to remove all religiosity, to remove Christianity, to remove Jesus Christ. I mean, I just saw an ad on, on, online that talked about Jesus and his, 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 his uh, wife. And it's right there in front of Jesus had a wife. And this is a plan, a slow plan to change your view of Jesus Christ. To change that which is true. And so, so don't, don't, don't think Satan is not already trying to change us. The gospel of godlessness is being preached on a daily basis. You know, I read something that really disturbed me. And of course, today, uh, it's really great that we have so many visiting. Uh, I got a chance to meet a young man by the name of, uh, I believe it's Peter. He's uh, down here, friends of Yuri Zykov. He's sitting right there. He's from Germany right there. Uh, dashing young man sitting next to, uh, to, to Yuri right there. And, uh, of course, he's down visiting us today, and I'm, I'm encouraged about that. I'm also encouraged to have uh, Cloudy and Larry here, uh, friends of ours. They're our, they're our neighbors, dare we say, and they're here with us to worship. Uh, of course, Larry's from Portland. Well, Eugene, but Eugene's only a few hours away from Portland. He's from Oregon. So the Lord is really tricky right there. It puts ebony and ivory right next to each other right there. So I love that. Uh, but I read this today, and I read it again yesterday, and it bothered me about how the world is trying to change us. This is an article that was just, it just came out. Gay advocates in Germany reportedly attacked Christian parents with little bags of feces. And feces stained pages ripped from the Holy Bible for protesting a new government sex education program in schools that seeks to teach students about homosexuality. That just came out. Satan is trying to change you. He is trying to change the entire world. He's trying to change Europe. And yet the Holy Bible was written in Asia, Africa, and Europe. And yet he is, he is furious. Even the fact that you are here today does not fire up Satan. But it fires up God. It encourages God. Are you with me right here? We've got to make sure that the change that we embrace... It's to change and become like little children. The change to become like Jesus. And I put before you, there's some, a few principles that help you understand change. Are you guys in Acts chapter 10? You know, it was said by one, one preacher. This guy gets himself in all kinds of trouble. And, uh, of course, he's in trouble with, with, with the law. And he goes, he goes to church, and, and he finds the preacher. And he says, preacher... I, I, I want to change my ways. I, I, I'm in, I'm in trouble. I want to change. Maybe you can relate to that. Preacher says, looks at him in the right now. He goes, son, have you seen the light? And the guy goes, no, I, I felt the heat. 
And sometimes that's the only thing that will get you to change. Not the inspiration of seeing the light, and the light is attractive, but feeling the heat. When things start happening, that's when we go, okay, time to change. (laughs) Marriage is falling apart, time to change. Addicted to internet pornography every day, all day, all night, okay, enough, time to change. Depressed and sitting at home, completely enslaved to my emotions of fear. Time to change. You will never change unless you fear God, though. And that's our first point. The fear of God helps us embrace change. Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. You guys with me? It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. A centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Amen for Italy right there. Amen. (laughs) He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Now, we understand from some of our other other studies what happened with the church at three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, that was a time when Jesus died. You remember that, right? I I knew you remember that. Amen. Amen. No worse. It says one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering Before God. Wow. You don't have to be saved to be heard from by God. You don't have to be a disciple for God to hear your prayers. You don't have to be a Christian for God to see your sacrifice. God's love is unconditional. He loves everybody. If today you are in a saved state, God loves you. If you are lost, God loves you. But let me tell you something. God's love is unconditional. But a relationship with him is totally conditional. Just because he hears you, just because he loves you, does not mean you have a relationship with God. And that was the case for this man. He says this. says, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Now, Tanners were people that the the, Gentile, or the the Jews were not supposed to be hanging out with because they were Gentiles. So you already start to see the walls crumbling in the book of Acts, the walls of prejudice and racism crumbling right there. And so God is already beginning to change Peter's thinking right there and change his theology. Arguably, he'd been around for a long time. And yet, even though Peter had been around for a long time, he still needed to embrace change. And so you start to see that beginning to happen. But the other interesting thing I thought uh, about when I read this is in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, we remember Philip the evangelist, right? Remember how he preached to Simon the sorcerer? At the end of his preaching in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, the Bible says he went to Caesarea. So I go, wow, why didn't, why didn't God use Philip, who was already there, to preach to Cornelius? Well, it's very simple if you understand the Gospels, and God's plan for Peter. Peter would have the keys to the kingdom, and Philip would not. 
And Peter would open up the door of faith for the Gentiles. And if that is uh, something that's good news, it's got to be good news. Because I look around, I don't see very many Jews here. I see a lot of Gentiles right here. We got different color Gentiles, different shapes, different sizes. We've got darker Gentiles in the audience. We've got lighter Gentiles. We've got beautiful Gentiles. And then we just got some Gentiles. (laughs) But nonetheless, we're fired up that God has opened the door for all of us to be saved through Peter right there. And verse 7 says, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, a devout soldier who was attendant. He told him everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. You know, the interesting, the powerful thing about Cornelius is very simply, he did not confuse religious devotion with salvation. Cornelius didn't confuse things. He was totally devoted, but he knew in his heart of hearts that he was lost. He knew in his heart of hearts he, that there was something missing. Let me tell you something. The only thing that can meet your needs is Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what job you have. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter what kind of relationship you have. The only thing that can really meet your needs emotionally, spiritually, is a relationship with God. He knew that. He didn't confuse religious devotion with being saved. Now, him being a centurion, he's a very, very, this is an awesome, I love, God always chooses, the centurions, they always got a good story about them, don't they? You know, the one centurion who had such great faith, and yet this guy was an amazing man that God went after. And, of course, centurion uh, meant that he led about 100 men. Now, a Roman legion actually had 6,000 men. And then the 6,000 men were broken down into battalions of 600. And then, of course, there were about 10 companies or battalions, so that gives you 100. Uh, And these men were said to be incredible. Now, when you study out these centurions, they were said to be men that if all 100 men died, if all of their battalion died, they would stand their ground and fight until the death, no surrender. So if all of the guys that were under them totally abandoned, the centurion would stand his ground and fight until he died. That sounds like deep conviction, doesn't it? Very interesting that. God uses that centurion, that Italian guy right there, to say, wow, you've got to go after individuals that are totally committed. You've got to have individuals. God goes after him, an individual who already already had the heart of total commitment. And, of course, I'm fired up for uh, our our young prophet, our young song leader, Jamal, right there. He's not a centurion, but... He's got deep conviction right there. Chapter 10, verse 23, says the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. It highlights that Cornelius, he had an incredible amount of influence on people. It wasn't his relatives that had influence on him. He had influence on his relatives. Does that describe you? That you're not pulled out of the kingdom by your relatives. You're calling them to come into the kingdom. It also says it's close friends. These were individuals that were close to him, but he, when he saw God, he says, you need to come see my God. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him 
and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Okay, it's very clear there was no such thing as Peter being the Pope. It's very clear. We don't need an internet whole thing. It's, it's false teaching. Peter is not the first Pope. Right here, he refused worship. It's crystal clear. And if you're a man or a woman of God, you, you are fired up that the word of God makes everything crystal clear. Verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside, found a large gathering of people. Wow, that sounds like it's how it's supposed to be at every Bible talk, doesn't it? A large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that's against the law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. See, there comes a time where God's law is even more important than the law of the land. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? <laughs> I think that's hilarious. He's like, he's got all this conviction why he came and he's like, what, what'd you send for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I went immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I mean, let me tell you, there are people that want to be told what God has to say through the man of God. They're, they're, they're out there. You just got to believe it. Question is, are you one of them? Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who what? Love him, who fear him. He says, except for him, who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to all the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. We stop right there. Um, do you fear God? Do you have a healthy fear of God? Jehovah God, not like in the Bible, not like the Greeks. Let me tell you, when we get to Acts chapter 17, Paul is walking through that area and there's that inscription to the, to the unknown God. They, back then, they feared God, but they feared all the different gods that they had created. They had a God for sun, they had a God for the moon, they, and we can be that way. The sun comes out and all of a sudden we're fired up. So, wow, can't wait for church. Woo! The sun God has gotten me excited. <laughs> It's raining. Oh, I can't be excited. It's so gray in London. <laughs> and so there were many different gods. And they were so bad that they, they didn't want to miss out on a god, so they made an inscription to an unknown god. Paul comes through and goes, you guys, you can't, what are you doing? The unknown god is Jehovah God. He's the one that you've been missing out on. These others are, 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 are rubbish. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says in verse 11... Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to what? Persuade men. We try to get them to change. Because we fear God. What we are is plain to God. I hope it's also plain to your conscience. Are you persuading men out of the fear of God? Are you persuaded because you fear God? We 
we live in a time where preaching about the hellfire and brimstone is it another hellfire and brimstone we need that we need to be taught we need to know about hell we need to understand that without a relationship with God Without the love of Jesus Christ in your heart, you are not saved. You are on your, you are being led by Satan right now. And you can come to church every week, and you can come to church every week, and he can come to church with you because you can leave not changed. And you got your God with you named Satan. And he's preaching to you, and he's telling you just have a church service and then leave and go do, do your business. Put your time in. Yet the fear of God has got to motivate us. And a lot of times, us the love of God. No one who really does great things for God is, even Paul the Apostle, wasn't like he loved God. No, he was afraid and the guy knocked him down. What in the world? Woo! And he became a sold-out disciple. Those who really make an impact have a healthy fear of God. It's the fear of God that leads to the love of God. I even look at my little, little Mia. I mean, she loves me, but she's, she's afraid. She, she knows she gets banking. She's like, okay, dad is not being so kind on this one. I'm going to come and give him a kiss (laughs) because she fears. And yet we've got to have a healthy fear of God that helps us embrace change in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 30 says, for we know him who said it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the church said in Psalm chapter 36 and verse one says an oracle is within my heart. Concerning the sinfulness of the wicked, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Why? In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He says to be wise and do good. Even on his bed. He plots evil. I mean, just laying there thinking about sin. This just so describes me. He commits himself to a sinful course. People are committed. We think people can't. Oh, people are committed. But are you committed to a godly or a sinful course? Says he commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. And then in Romans chapter 3 verse 18, Paul played on that by saying there's no fear of God before their eyes. Do you fear God? Does it motivate you to change? Does it motivate you to go, okay, enough's enough. Enough's enough. I got to change. Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. He preached more about it. In Luke chapter 3, verse 7, he says, flee, flee from wrath. Flee, run. You're in danger. Do, do you believe that? We, we are in danger. We are in trouble. Satan is going after us. He's, he's going after us. He's teaching our kids that they came from monkeys. He's teaching our young men and women when they run to that, that particular point where they're insecure about their stuff. Oh, you can, just, you, you, can be, you can be married to a man. You can be married to a woman. That's what, that's what Satan's teaching our kids. Marriage. Husband, wife, I mean, how many women want to grow up to be a mom? Or, oh, I've got my career first. Before I can bear the burden of children. Bear the burden of children? 
What kind of world are we living in? We, 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 we are in a battle. And the fear of God is being dismantled from the Christians, from their heart. Even, Christ, even preachers, oh, that's too much. It's the love of God. No, it's the fear of God that leads to the love of God. When you're afraid of God, you get that fear, and then it, over time you, you fall in love with the fact that he's protected you with the church, protected you with relationship, protected you with the word of God. It's the fear of God that this guy Cornelius had. And it changed him. Do you fear God? Do you run the church? Do you fear God? If there's one thing that's got to be at the forefront of our minds to help us embrace change, it's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord that says, I, I, I got to change. Are you guys still with me here? Number two. Let's get to chapter 11. What happens when you don't resist change, when you don't fear God? Well, then you resist change. You can resist change in Acts chapter 11. Now things start to transition over to Peter. He has to explain his actions because he had to embrace change. The church had to embrace change. And so he explains that to the church. And he says in verse 19, after he's explaining it, well, now let's pick it up verse 1. We've got to hit that first. It says, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. See, you always got these little quiet reservations and things going on within the church right there. But Peter explains things. Peter began and explained everything to them, precisely as it happened. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, reptiles, birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, you, I've never seen this. This next verse we're going to look at. <laughs> this is hilarious. I replied, surely not, Lord. <laughs> I've, I've been reading this over and over and I went, can you do that? Let me read that again. It says, surely not, Lord. He tells God no, but then he calls him Lord. I went, I'm very crystal clear. It's okay to say no. Amen? Like, Man United is not as good as Chelsea. No. Right? You can say that, right? Arsenal is not as good as Man City. You, you, you can do that? Can you do that? It's okay. Uh-oh. Woo! They're turning on me all of a sudden. Fear of God. Let me change it. It's okay to say no. Now, it's great when you see people become disciples and they say, Jesus, Lord. Amen? It's okay to say Lord. It's a good thing to say Lord. Jesus is still your Lord, right? He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. But you can't say no. And Lord, you can't say no, Lord. You can say no, but the moment you say no, he's not your Lord. You can say Lord, but, but, but you've got to make sure that you, you say yes to what Lordship means. That hit me. I went, wow, even Peter resisted change. He said no. 
Lord, <laughs> you can't do that. Resisting change only makes it all the worse. You ever resist a change? Yeah. You ever been in a position where God is calling you to change and, and you resist it? You, you push back. You find fault in the other individual. Find fault, even with the Holy Bible, when the Bible gets in there with you and you realize you got to change, you can. Well, the Bible was written by men, wasn't it? That sounds good when it's not really relevant. But when God gets relevant and his hand gets on you, all of a sudden, he's, the Bible's now, you're, you're on your knees praying. You're begging for Jesus Christ to come in there and, 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 get, and, get, and get and help you on out. As disciples, as a church, we cannot resist change. Amen. When God calls us to change, we just got to say, yes, Lord, and not resist change. You guys still with me? Verse 19. Things start transitioning right here. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he was from Cyprus. We got Anthony, and, and where, where, where is he at? There, there he is. He's from, there he is. He's our, he's, our, he's our Barnabas of the church. He's from Cyprus. And here's the funny thing. Barnabas, his name meant son of encouragement. That was his nickname he had developed in the church. The son of encouragement. And, and he's, that's, that's, that's who Anthony is. He's the son of encouragement. He takes the sisters on dates. He disciples the brothers on their hearts. Yes. He even is one of the most stylish guys we have walking around in the fellowship. And I go, this guy is really the true Barnabas in our fellowship. He is the son of encouragement. Verse 19. Says now those who have been scattered in been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news of the Lord. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church at Jerusalem. And they sent for Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. What is the evidence of the grace of God? The evidence of the grace of God is people becoming Christians. That is the evidence. That's what he saw. He saw all the people becoming Christians. That was the evidence. See, you're not a church that really appreciates the grace of God unless it motivates you to work hard for the Lord. That's what Paul says. He says, I worked harder than all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God living in me. And yet, a lot of people, oh, we want more preaching on grace. No, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, a church that really is appreciative of the grace of God, there'll be record numbers of people becoming disciples. There'll be lots of people coming to the waters of baptism. And we got two that have come to be baptized today. Amen? <laughs> Says he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, Saul's been a disciple for about seven years at this particular point. And so Barnabas didn't just go grab anybody. He goes grab, you know, Saul, who, who was tried and true and someone who was hard line. says, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, and the church said, Amen. pretty cool here. I didn't know that Antioch was known historically as being kind of a, a city where uh, you had these kind of little names, and they, they, were, they were known for kind of, as Dee would say, as she taught me 
English slang here, having a go at one another. And, and so that's what you did if you're from Antioch. You, you, you'd have a go. You, you'd say little comments that were little digs, little jabs right there. That was just the culture. And right here, the Bible says the disciples were called Christians. They saw the Christians. They go, oh. Or the disciples, they go, oh, you, you, you're like Christ. You're, not a, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. So this is literally seven years into the existence of the church. And yet we find that everyone who called themselves a follower of Jesus was a disciple. Before the nickname of Christian came upon them. Now, a lot of us in the church, we understand this. But are you a disciple? Or are you a disciple? The world teaches there are two different commitments. You got a disciple that's really committed. Then you got Christian that's a, just a believer. Belief is not enough. Belief is totally not enough. You know, there's always the story I, I'm always reminded of, of the guy who walks across the, the, this, this whole tightrope. He walks across this tightrope, and he gets to the other side. He walks across a, a whole river. And he was a little bit of a jokester. And so he'd, he'd, he'd get people going, he'd get this huge crowd, and he'd get up on this tightrope that was strung up across the river. And he'd get up there, and, he, and he'd go, and he'd look down at the crowd, and he'd go, uh, do you believe I can walk across this, this tightrope? Do you believe it? And the people, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe. And so he'd get up on the tightrope, and, he, and he'd walk. And he'd, get, and he'd get out there, and, you know, it's a good 60 feet down. And so he'd get to the middle, and he'd go like that, and people go, ooh. But then he'd make it all the way across. And everyone would go, ah, yeah, they're hitting each other. Yeah, see, look, oh. Then he'd go, do you believe I can make it all the way back across with a wheelbarrow? And the people go, we believe, we believe, we believe. It got cultish. We believe, we believe. In unison, they'd say it. And he'd get up there with a wheelbarrow, and, he, and he'd go out there. And, and he, he's got a wheelbarrow. He's up there, and he'd get to the middle. And, he, woo, and everyone would go, he'd make it all the way across. But then he'd say, do you believe I can make it all the way across with the wheelbarrow with somebody inside of it? And they'd go, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe. <laughs> and then he'd say, well, I need a volunteer. <laughs> and no one would come forward. You don't honestly believe it unless you're willing to get into the real wheelbarrow. If you're not a disciple, you are totally lost. In the church, outside the church. Don't think that just because you're in the church, when God, God when he comes back to judge the church, he's going to start with us. First Peter says judgment begins with the family of believers. And if you're not a disciple in the church, you're not saved. See, that's one of those sermons that we don't, we're not, we, oh, that, that didn't apply to us. That's for those who've not become a, No, no, it's for all, everybody. you got to be a disciple, a learner, willing to go anywhere, do anything, give up everything. I mean, God gave us an incredible example of Steve Fraser today. That is a disciple right there, amen? Yeah. And I'm going to challenge you to continue to embrace change. Do not resist it. Where in your life are you falling short as a disciple? 
Where are you resisting change in your life? For me, I'll just be open. I'm really challenged at the fact that we got to evangelize all of Europe. But I'm, we're going to do it. And I've just finally started getting behind the fact that really it isn't me that's going to do it. It's going to be God. And the only thing that's really helped me with that is really reading my Bible and, and prayer. And prayer. Prayer. How many of you think prayer makes a difference? Okay. You guys think prayer makes a difference? I think you're totally wrong. Prayer with faith makes a difference. Which is our third point. Acts chapter 12. Which is what helped me get my heart behind where God is trying to help me become a disciple. But you got to pray with faith. You can't just pray or you'll get tired of praying. You even start believing prayer doesn't work. If you just go out and pray, God, you ever done that? God, you go out and have this stained glass window prayer. Holy Father, Christ the Lord, Savior of all men, ruler of the heavens and the earth, almighty awesome one, Father God. And he's sitting there feeling just like how you're feeling. God is going, you are so religious. Why don't you just tell me how you're really feeling? I made you in my image. You're special. You realize that, guys? We were made in the image of God. That means that God thought humans were something that he could actually come down and become. That means we are special. Doesn't say he made the sun in the image of God. Doesn't say he made the moon in the image of God. Doesn't say he made the water in the image of God. Doesn't say he made the earth in the image of God. He says he made you. In the image of God. We know the sun is there. sun doesn't know we're here. We know the water's there. Water doesn't know we're here. We are special. We are special. He loves us. Are you praying with faith? Do, do, do you treat God as special? Do you love God? It isn't, it's God with us. Are we with God? <laughs> Prayer with faith makes a difference. Check this one out. Acts chapter 12. Still with me? Bring it in for a close here. So it was about this time that Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Wow, that's a challenge right there. What a hit to the church. James, the brother of John. Remember those two guys that said, hey, who can sit at the right and the left? And can you drink the cup? (laughs) Are you willing to drink the cup? And of course, the cup was the cup of death. And yet we see another hit to the church with James, the brother of John, not the brother of Jesus. There are even people that debate this. Was it James, the brother of Jesus? Well, James, the brother of Jesus is still alive in Acts chapter 15. You just read the Bible and let the Bible sort things on out there for you. Amen? Verse 3 says, when he saw this, please the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. Also, this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers. Each Herod intended to bring him out for public trial. After the Passover. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So did the church believe in prayer? Totally they believe in prayer. Watch this. Verse 6. The night before Herod was going to bring him to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Peter is getting ready to be killed guys. He's getting ready to be murdered. 
And we know he was martyred. He was killed upside down on an X-shaped cross. He was killed. But here, this is the third time he's been in prison in the book of Acts. The first two times it was after victories. This time it wasn't after victory. One of his, one of his guys that he loves dies, and then he goes to jail. So he could have been depressed right here. But the Bible just says, Peter was sleeping. <laughs> Peter just, oh, I'll just get a nap right here. Wait on Jesus Christ. He just knocks on. You remember when this, this furious squall came up and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion? You remember that, guys? Okay. I think, I think Peter remembered that. I think Peter had prayer that gave him the peace that passes understanding. That, sur- that makes him totally surrendered. Prayer with faith makes you to be totally surrendered to the will of God for your life. And I, I, I don't believe it actually was the church. I think it was Peter's faith right here. Because we're going to keep reading here and we'll find out. Verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. <laughs> Quick, get up, he said. And a change fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. Wow, that'd be pretty embarrassing. Angel tell you you need to get dressed. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guard, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. They went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and he said, I know, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When it dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. This is the church. They were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and cried, Peter's at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. Which he kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. They were praying. They just weren't praying with faith. The entire, isn't that something? I was so convicted by that. The whole church was praying without faith. Because when the miracles started happening, they didn't even believe it. You ever done that when you're praying and you're like, oh, please, Lord, bring this, bring a woman into my life. And then a woman comes into your life and you don't even see it. (laughs) Pride blinds you. Lord, Lord, I pray, give me a chance to lead. I'll I'll be such a great leader somewhere else. No. Your answer is to be a leader right here. You are the answer. You ever had that happen where God is answering and you don't even see it? That's because you're, you're, you're praying without faith. You're just praying. You're just going through the motions. Verse 16. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Pretty intense right here. This, this, this whole verse is pretty intense. A couple of things to point out. Why did James die and why did Peter stay alive? Why did God take James' life? 
He could have he let James live. I believe he took James's life because he fulfilled the purposes of God. When you fulfill the purposes of God, it's your time to go to heaven. It's your time to go to heaven. But check this out. Look at verse 21. It says, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not man. Immediately because Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. And the church said, are you giving praise to God? Does your life give praise to God or yourself? I became a disciple by deciding that I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop living a life for Michael. Many of you know my, my ambition to be in entertainment and film and TV. And it was all about me. Everything was about me. Serve people? Oh, you're right. I serve myself. Give money? Oh, you're right. I want all the money myself. Just very, very, very selfish. And that selfish Michael can come back to bite me. And so I'm so glad that God has given me an incredible, incredible church to be a part of. That keeps me humble. Uh, I mean, I see some of the disciples and I just go, okay, I need to repent. (laughs) You know, to to lead today, she's like, I'm so sick, but preach it, bro. That just hit my heart. She's like, wow. Wow. She's just here giving her heart. Sold out disciple. Does your life give praise to God? We don't know even if we're promised the next 15 minutes, guys. You, you, you don't know if you have a blood clot in your brain that's getting ready to explode, and this could be the last sermon you hear. Does your life give praise to God or yourself? If it does not give praise to God, it's time for you to get right with God. To get right with God. And to pray with faith for God to show you that way. If you're visiting, I challenge you to sit down and study the Bible with a true Christian. To be honest that you're not living. It doesn't matter that you believe in the Bible. Are you living the Bible? Belief is not enough. We already covered that one. But I challenge you to sit down and ask someone to get in your life. I mean, for me, it was the fire. I had to lose everything before I was willing to be humble. And let me tell you something. At that point, oh, I was praying with faith. It wasn't just religious duty. I was just, oh, Jesus Christ. I was like, Lord, please, oh, help me. I've been caught being unfaithful. I could go to jail. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. God, the Father. The, I was beg, I was in tears crying to God. And, and I actually believed it, too. And God delivered me. And here I am today. Are you praying with faith? Are you praying with faith? What is, it that's, what is it that you don't believe God can do in your life? I challenge you to pray with faith. We need to become a church that prays with faith, not religious duty. But that we believe that we can evangelize the nations in this generation. We believe this is the group of disciples that are going to go out to Germany, that are going to go out to Amsterdam, that are going to go to all the cities here in Europe to evangelize. That we believe that. We get our faith behind that. We've got to pray with faith. And lastly, we've got to embrace new leaders. If we are going to build a church, we've got to have new leaders. I I, I love to preach. I want to see some young guys preach the word. Not because they have the talent to say some eloquent things, but because they have the life example and the humility that backs it on up. Are you with me here? 
We've got to embrace new leaders. In Acts chapter 13, in verse 1, it says, In the church at Antioch, there are prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger. Wow, there's a black guy in the, in the mix. Amen. <laughs> Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch of Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. We see at the beginning the diversity of the church right there. All the different leaders right there. We see at the beginning of, of, of chapter 13, and I'm so, I'm so grateful for the diversity we have here. We've got Blaze and, and Patricia Fumba right there. Amen? We, we, we've, got, we've, got, we've got the South African right there, Jock and Jeanette. We, we, we've got, we've got the, the Georgian and Helica Grima right there. George has been through about four movements right there. We've got Ola and Denise Kukoye right there. The Bible says Peter fell in a trance. I think Ola fell in a trance when he saw when he saw Denise come down the aisle. He just he was wondering this vision is am I really getting married to her? Yeah, yeah, it is, bro. It's happening. I can relate. I felt the same way when I saw Michelle. I was in. A, I did the Michael Jackson. I saw Michelle come down the aisle. I, I did the splits like my. I, before you know it, I'd embarrass myself. I did not care. I was getting married to that woman. Amen. Um. The interesting thing about this one, it says John Mark left him to return to Jerusalem. In verse 13, John Mark left him. I thought about that. Why did he leave him? The Bible is silent. Many schools of thought. Maybe Mark didn't like Paul taking over the leadership and Barnabas beginning to start to take a back seat because that's what was happening. The leadership in the church was beginning to shift to the guy being Paul, who was the most influential. Because you don't really hear about Peter much more after this. I mean, he gets rebuked by Paul in Galatians chapter 2. He writes the epistles which crank. But it was time for things to change and new leaders to rise on up. And Paul was one of those guys. Amen? I thought maybe Mark didn't like that. I thought maybe Mark was more like his culture over his calling. Maybe it came time for him to really embrace the Gentiles, but he just couldn't do it. And that can happen to us. We're, we're so focused on our culture. We don't see that God can do miracles in every culture. English people love Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? I met an English guy that's in film this morning. He loves Jesus Christ. He's sitting in the back, handsome guy right next to Joppy. English people love Jesus. Okay. German people love Jesus Christ. Even Americans love Jesus. I know, I know we got some problems, but we still love, there's some of us that love Jesus. What highlights that you believe this is you reach out to all nations. What highlights that you believe this, you have friends from every nation. What highlights you don't believe this is when you only have friends that are of your, your background. You, you, can, you, you're, you're, you got a bunch of American friends, you don't have any English friends. You got a bunch of English friends, but oh, not Americans, they're too, ooh, ooh, so emotional. We're African, and that's all you are. You're just flat-out African. If it's not jell rice, you're just not fired up. 
don't know what it was for Mark. I don't know what it was. The Bible's silent. All I know is he left him. Maybe it was just the fact that he wasn't loyal. And he had to learn it. Maybe it was just his pride. He just had to be humbled and go back. Not only to his first love, but back to just being a disciple. So he could have that appreciation for leadership. Whatever it was, there had to be an embracing of new leaders. For us, we're raising this missions today. We want new leaders in the church. New interns in the church. New young people that really want to go anywhere, give up everything, and do anything for the Lord right there. And so I believe by faith we're going we're gonna to get our 15 times mission contribution to raise up new leaders. Of course, Paul in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 5, winds up choosing Timothy, a young man who really had the humility and the talent. And, of course, Timothy wrote first, second Timothy and did great things right there. For us as a church, I, I want to challenge you young people. I was talked to by a young person. says, how come we're not having more additions? And the church. I said, well, I think special has been a bit of a challenge. But I said, you know what? You're a young person. How many people have you converted? Who are you going after? Don't have kids. Your life is the easiest as it's going to be right now. <laughs> it only gets more inspirational from here. <laughs> and you know what he did? And, and, and in a sense, I kind of challenged him. I said, well, you are the answer to the problem, bro. Yeah. And he looked at me with faith. I said, okay. And he's got a visitor today, and I'm not going to tell you who that is. But I challenge you young people. You got to get evangelistic. Yeah. And this church would be having two, three editions every week because, because let me tell you something, there are young people that want to become disciples. Yeah. I want to challenge you marriage. Yeah. Come on. Your, heaven isn't marriage. You don't get married and then you're in heaven. And now the church, the young people got to do all the work. We, we've all got to embrace it. Amen. And we need new married leaders, new marriages that are, that, that are, that are examples to the world. Yeah. We need new marriages that are examples to the world where people come to church and we go, okay, listen, hang out with this married couple in our church. Their, their life will fix your marriage. We need new leaders in our marrieds. We need new leaders in our singles. We just need new leaders to raise on up. It's time for us to embrace change. In closing, I change my hair. I change my style. I change what I read, and it changed my smile. I changed my jeans, and I changed my fads. I changed all that ungodly clothing that I had. I changed my diet. I changed my routine. I changed into an evangelistic machine. I changed my lifestyle. I even changed my physique. I changed from being so prideful to being focused and meek. I changed my character. I even changed my best friends. I changed the way this eternal story ends. I changed my goals. I changed the sights that I'd even see. I changed everything that made me, me. I challenge you to embrace change.
we would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast if you would like video versions of these episodes whether it's sermon highlights or interviews feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our youtube channel that's londonchurch.org.uk that's l-o-n-d-o-n-c-h-u-r-c-h dot org dot uk and for all other updates and information whether it's services events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one Mm